This is the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Oil and Gas Startups Podcast. What's up, Colin? Man, I'm disappointed. I thought you were going to do the YouTube intro. What's up, guys? What's up, YouTubers? <laughs> <laughs> so we are sitting here with our buddy, Hazem, from Una Armor Universal Threat Protectors. This is a mouthful. Una Armor <laughs> Universal Threat Protectors. What's up, dude? What's up, guys? How you doing, man? Good, good. Very happy to be here. Good. So... Awesome. When did we meet? We met sometime last year. Yeah, sometime last year. And, and I, I remember the conversation was how this industry needs to evolve. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 it was after I made an Evolve or Die post, right? Oh. Hashtag Evolve or Die. <laughs> <laughs> and it's very true. So I kicked it off from there and then had the pleasure of meeting you guys a couple of times after. Yeah, I forgot that it was a result of that. That's yeah. pretty funny. Yeah, that Evolve or Die led into a lot of friendships. So glad to hear that that was one of them. <laughs> and it led to Union Armor too, by the way. So, uh, you know, that, that thought of you know of change and changing things for the sake of change sometimes was important at that point yeah, yeah. so i want to get into your background but first what is uni armor you want to tell our audience what it is that you guys are doing so uni armor we make threat protectors for oil and gas uh, tubulars and service probably most people are not very familiar with prote- threat protectors but these are like the, the cover that goes on top of the pipe the classic ones, the conventional protectors, the, you know, you screw them on and off, like, you know, like any kind of like, you know. A pipe wrench or anything like that, yeah. Exactly, and, uh, you know, they're cumbersome, the, uh, you know, they take, you know, 45 seconds to one minute each, you know, to install and uninstall, they fall off, I mean, you name it, you know, they crack, I mean, it's been a disaster, and, and I'll talk about my background, how I felt this pain for, for a long time in my life. So you're not just a thread protector manufacturer. You've actually got a new technology, a new type of thread protector. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the revolution in thread protectors. Actually, one of our customers called it Protectors 2.0. So I, uh, <laughs> I, liked, I like you go, that. He had to coin that as a name. So, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. Let's talk a little bit about your background. So tell us about yourself. You know, what got you into oil and gas and kind of how you got up to this point? Fresh out of college, 17, 18 years ago. I'm getting old, I guess. <laughs> we all are. Yeah, so got my first job with one of the leading or the leading oil and gas service companies. Stayed there for 10 years. Stayed within the service sector for seven more years. Manufacturing equipment and lastly was, was pipe, was tubulars. And uh, at that point, after 17 years in corporate America, it was about time for me to move on and uh, do my own thing. So I was crazy enough to go to business school and uh, start the company. And this startup thing, you know, I started, you know, started to look at it. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's cool. You know, it's going to be a new challenge and something different than anything I've done. And uh, it's a journey. Where'd you go to business school at? Rice. I went to Rice and Jones School in, here in Houston. So you go to business school. You decide, you know, just one day that you want to be an entrepreneur. Say, screw it to the corporate life. How did you come up with the idea for Unarmor? First of all, you have co-founders in the company? Yes, I have one co-founder. He's a former colleague from, from my first job. So how, how did you guys stumble into this opportunity? Did you guys design this product from scratch out of necessity? I mean, you said that you were in pipe manufacturing, so I'm guessing that you were dealing a lot with conventional thread protectors back then. So elaborate on that a little bit. 
Yeah, so even before I worked with pipe threat protectors, you know, they were they did not make sense. You know, something hasn't changed in decades. It's the same thing. Like I said, they fall off. They have their own issues. So um, it was always on, on the back of my mind. And when you go when you go to Rice, Rice is very big on entrepreneurship. And it was my first week in school. I said, you know what? Let me go and attend the entrepreneurship uh, like uh, welcome class or uh, something like that. This where I met. Uh, met one of my mentors, or my first mentor is uh, Professor Aldanto. I'd, uh, I'd like to, to mention his name. He's helped us a lot and pushed me since day one. He's like, you know what, this is, you know, take this ball and run. I mean, it seems like a, a decent product. So at that point, I knew there was an issue, but I'm not a design engineer, so I could not design anything or could not find a solution myself. This when I approached my co-founder. Like, you know what, I have, there's this issue. I mean, he's, he's an oil and gas guy, so he knows very well. You know, he was very familiar with the issue. Like, yeah, it's pain on my butt as well, you know. And uh, yeah. yeah, let's come up with something. And he has been the brains behind, behind our innovations. So yes, they're all brand new products. It's a brand new innovation. It's, a, it's kind of like, you know, a disruptive innovation. To go into the details of the product, we, we decided... Yeah, yeah. so what's, what's different about it then? Because maybe we should start off with why do the threads need to be protected for those who don't understand. Oh, yeah. So, you know, the threads are, you know, the connection between two pieces of pipe. And as you know, like, you know, casings, tubings, drill pipe, you know, all of these are basically connections. I mean, if you have one crack in a thread that would jeopardize the integrity of this connection, I mean, the downtime alone can be in millions. The threat protector itself is a very low involvement product. However, the importance of it is crucial. I mean, you, I mean, if the threat protectors fail and then the thread itself failed, then you're going to have a huge, you know, you can have a huge failure. Yeah, I mean, you think you, you run casing downhole, you have your casing downhole and you get a split casing collar that was due to a faulty connection. I mean, that's a huge problem that you have. But it's funny because you don't ever think like, especially me being a, fucking roughneck i just don't give a shit when i'm out on a rig you know you think of these threat protectors as just you know some little piece of plastic that you know really not that important but it really is because you have a faulty connection like that it like you said it can be a very costly problem so yes what we did we decided to uh, go with threadless so we took the thread out of the equation and we replaced that with a rubber element that clamps on top of the pipe Oh, okay. So it actually doesn't even spin on the pipe. It doesn't thread on. It doesn't thread on and it does not contact the thread itself. And by doing that, you know, you, I mean, there are many things like, you know, can go technical dope, stay at the same spot, you know, it's not going to move anywhere. You have no contact with the, you know, with the thread. It's universal. It works on any kind of thread. As, as you may know, there are like, you know, tens of kinds of threads. So then now instead of this fleet of inventory, now you're placing them with, with one part. So you're saving on your inventory and your number of SKUs. And in addition to that, it's more efficient because, you know, you're, you're not threading. You're basically like, you know, latching on. Yeah, so it's not dependent on the actual thread itself, just the size of the pipe, whatever the OD of the pipe is. Interesting. So this protector has a rubber element that clamps on. How does that work? How do you take it on and off? I mean, I'm assuming you don't just slide it on and off. No, so yeah, so you, you slide it on and then you push three bolts that activate the rubber element. So basically, uh, you're you're squeezing the rubber on top of on top of the pipe. Got you. So you slide on the protector, you torque up those bolts, and when you torque them up, they're causing that rubber element to expand and grip onto the pipe. Yeah, 
And that was the first idea we started with. UniArmor pivoted and did more after that. So it's funny like how a startup, you know, starts with one idea and then, you know, and this one still exists, but, you know, you, you start pivoting to others as well. And that's, you know, that's kind of like the resilience of, of startups. What are, what are you guys pivoting into now? What other products or services? So we've been, we've been focusing mainly on threat protectors. So we moved from pipe, we went to sucker rods. You know, sucker rods, they are used, especially in the Permian, by the millions. I mean, you're from there, right? Yep, I'm, <laughs> I'm from there. Yeah, yeah. Born and raised West Texas. I've been around, I don't know how many thousands of sucker rods I've seen pulled. <laughs> oh, yeah. Instead of, again, instead of like, you know, hammering in, you know, hammering on a piece of plastic or rubber, we came up with like, you know, similar idea, you know, a quick connect that doesn't touch the thread. And it's like a second or two to install or, 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 or uninstall. So do those, do you have to bolt those on as well? On no, the that's sucker, ha- rods? The sucker rods are very, you know, the, the diameter is very small. Yeah, they're very small. Yeah. Plus when you're pulling rods out on a rig, you know, if you're using them out there on a, like a workover application there, I mean, just pulling rods it seems like every few seconds so you know it's a quick process you don't have time to sit there and really bolt anything on that quick so yeah no it's it's a a two seconds hand like i said quick connect it looks like your you know the water hose you know the in your backyard is the same one pretty much the same idea you know and uh, it latches on top of it and, and it clamps quite well interesting yeah and we started to build up on, on that so we thought okay now we we want to be this protection company we started to work with our you know customers and okay we you know we have issues protecting our perforating guns can you come up with a more efficient way so we go we make it more efficient we come back and actually now that's our first selling product like the number one sales product we still pivot. I mean, we've been in business for two years, and now we have our fourth commercialized product is pipe chocks. So that's not, it's not a protector, but actually it protects pipe from rolling. And, and we go again to one of our customers. We're like, I mean, this piece of bulky plastic or wood, you know, can be done a bit better than that, you know. So we end up like designing a new product, which is pipe chocks, and actually it's being sold and it's being used. So It's funny, man. Oil and gas is full of like just boring businesses that you wouldn't think that you know that you can make any money or i mean you look at a conventional thread protector you wouldn't look at that and be like man there's really gotta be a more innovative way to change the way that we protect threads on a joint of pipe but you know you think about it like you go out to you know go out to west texas when it's cold or you know the bakken or anywhere else that has cold climate and you try to take off a thread protector too and you're having to sit there with a tiger torch try to heat it up and then you've got a you know pipe wrench trying to get it but then the joint of pipes turning so you got to get some chain tongs thrown on and it becomes a fucking pain in the ass just to get a piece of plastic off the thread so you have a system like this you know you can take you guys i'm assuming you can take them off impact wrench just take the bolts off yeah make uh roughnecks lives a lot easier i'm thinking about you roughnecks out there if you're listening (laughs) (laughs) so when you design these new products are you guys, are you just seeing, are you saying, hey, there's an application that we could do this or are customers coming to you and saying, hey, we fucking hate these pipe chocks. Can you design something better? Or, or is that just something that you guys are taking initiative and seeing, hey, we can make this better? So that we, the first product was us seeing an issue in, in the market. Obviously, we, we had to vet it first through our customers. So if you want to give kind of an, an advice to a startup, you know, start with an MVP. Do like a minimum, you know, viable, you know, viable prototype. Make sure it works. Don't do crazy. Don't spend money. Please don't spend money because I've seen this from fellow, you know, startups. You know, just start easy. Make sure it works. Make sure like as many customers see it. Make sure a lot of people see it and give you their opinion. 
a lot of times you see, you know, people trying to hide their new idea because they think, you know, it's going to be stolen. Yeah. Trust me, it doesn't work this way, man. We- I- ideas are shit. It's all about execution, right? Exactly. And not many people are going to get out there and execute your idea. Yeah, if we chat now for the next 10 minutes, we can, between the three of us, we can come up with at least like, you know, yeah. five good ideas. The idea is like, you know, who can take this and, you know. Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem with people like us is that we think of too many ideas. <laughs> not enough bandwidth to execute on it. Yeah. So who are your actual, actual customers? Is it the manufacturer? So we have actually two kinds of customers. We have actually or three. The first one are the pipe makers, the manufacturers. The second one are the service companies. You know, the ones who run like wireline equipment, MWD, perforating guns. You know, you name it. Any anything that's cylindrical, really. And the third ones are the finishing facilities. You know, those who go and buy green pipe and they are licensed to cut a thread. So these are the third line of customers for us. Interesting. So what are, you know, you brought up, don't spend money developing your product. How did you guys go about funding your operation? Did you guys get investors? Did you bootstrap? Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? So in the beginning, we bootstrapped, like with the first idea, you know, we tried to be, like I said, we tried to be economical. We said, okay, we we don't have to be fancy, no fancy website. Like it was a website I put together like in a you know in a in a few hours and a, a few pictures that were taken in the garage good old wordpress and build the website <laughs> oh yeah you know uh, so uh, yeah we did it you know we started this way and then once the first product was the one that we started with everything afterwards was a customer's idea we were lucky that we could go in front of many customers with that first idea even without selling it oh you know what i don't want this but can you have something similar for like soccer rods and this is how the soccer rod product started oh you know we don't want this but can you do something similar for perforating guns so this is how it started you know so from that point onward we started to get these ideas from from customers and it is capital intensive because these are injected molded you know products so we found that we will need capital we were lucky enough to meet you know with um, a great lead investor who helped us you know package this deal and we, we raised our seed round through a, a group of angel investors. Awesome. So, you know, it's really cool that you, first of all, that you guys came up with this product from scratch, built it, bootstrapped, because it's not like software where you can just sit down and code something out of thin air. You know, there's nothing cheap about engineering and designing a product, especially mm-hmm. a commercially viable product. So, was that, I mean, it sounds like it was pretty instrumental for you to find the technical guy, the engineer that could design it. Is that something that you agree with? Do you think that you'd be able to do this on your own without having that technical co-founder? No, and, and sometimes not even technical. I, I'm a great believer of like, you know, of, of having a, a co-founder. And probably your first task is to find a good co-founder, someone you get along with, someone you guys are on the same page, you know, you are in the same, you know, professional, ethical, you know, personal level and build this relationship. It's very important because, you know, when you have a startup in the beginning, you're very lonely. You know, basically, you know, I came from a company that had 120,000 employees and my, my last job, I had a team of 120 people in my team alone. And then all of a sudden I have... Just you. <laughs> Just me and one other person, you know. And, and in the beginning, you know, you, you do some work and then there are like many, okay, rolling your thumbs moments when you're like, okay, what's next? And then, you know, there's like this, okay, you know, we have like 
gazillion things to do today, you know, because one customer said, okay, you know, so it's, you know, you, you go through these things and, and you will find yourself... Super highs and super lows and super busy and then super not. And- yeah. You better, yeah, you better get used to that. If you're planning to go to a startup or start your own business, it's exactly this way, you know. In the startup life one day, you can feel like you're just on top of the world, you know, taking over oil and gas. And then the next day it's like... How are we going to make it to, to the next day? How are we going to make <laughs> exactly. it to the end of business? So, yeah, you definitely got to be prepared for those ups and flows. So what are some of the challenges, you know, talked about when you reached out to me? It was about a post. You know, if you've listened to our podcast, you probably heard us talk about it, the infamous Evolve or Die post talking about oil and gas needing to be more accepting of new technology. And that's how you found me and reached out. And we were just kind of having a conversation about that. How has that been a pretty big barrier for you guys getting your technology, getting any market share from customers, just having them kind of be accepting of the idea that, hey, there's a better way to do this? So, yeah, in, in the first year specifically, when we were new, no track record, and there was a lot of time available in the oil and gas, you know, we, we started 2014, okay? So basically, we are there when things, you know, when the shit is hitting the fan big time. So Started in the best time, man. The best companies come from the bottom. <laughs> yeah, so we, we started at that time, which was good and bad, because this was the trigger of people start to think there must be a better way of doing this, and it can be more efficient and cheaper. However, it was the time that nobody wants to spend any money, nobody wants to try anything new. So that was, that, that was hard. And I remember, like, we were meeting a customer we have our product which is more efficient and you know we'll, we'll definitely save them money on, on labor and his answer was we have plenty of time on our hands i don't need something that's faster these guys will do nothing if you if they start putting your protectors in like in two <laughs> seconds instead of like 30 <laughs> it's like what the hell are those guys gonna do over there i, I pay them <laughs> yeah so i i basically said you know it's fair enough you know when when you get busy then we you know, we can we can present you our product again. And, and that was the mentality for some time. However, on, on the flip side, there were these guys who had the longer vision. They were like, you know what? No, we this is something, you know, and once once things pick up will be will be very important. And we were lucky to have like two customers we know and, and funny, one of them was a small company and one is a very large company. And we could find one of each that have this, you know, long, you know, long vision and saying, you know what? Yes, if you know efficiency is the future, and I'll use your words again: evolve or die. Because someone else will do it faster and cheaper than you. So if you're not the first to do it this way, trust me. I mean, we've been in this business for you know for a while, and we know it. Yep, absolutely. So you know, you think about it's kind of hard to you know put tangible numbers around what cost savings would be in relation to efficiency. So you know, you're you're more efficient because you're faster, but What's the cost of y'all's protectors look like, you know, compared to traditional protectors? And you brought up another good point earlier talking about, you know, you don't have to keep all these, if you're a pipe manufacturer, you don't have to keep all these inventories of, you know, whatever thread it might be. You only have to have one size, whether that's two and three eighths, two and seven eighths, whatever it may be, because yours is universal and it's, it's not dependent on the thread. So what are the costs, you know? Protector versus protector, what are y'all looking like? So the beauty of it that we are very cost comparable and don't think it started this way. So we thought, you know, by, you know, selling this fancy protector that, you know, will be sold like double the price, you know, easily. And guess what? You know, we go and, and present it and the customer's like, oh, I love it. You know, this thing will save you more money, you know, and it's reusable. Okay, what's the price? Oh, you need to match the price of the old one. Like, 
wow, okay, then, you know, we have long ways to go. So we went through a few iterations of design and optimization to be comparable. As a matter of fact, one of our products is actually cheaper than the conventional product. Oh, really? Yeah. So now people don't have any excuse yeah. not to use them. <laughs> and even the ones that has the rubber, it's, it's a bit more expensive, but you're talking about like within 10%, you know, from, from the competition or matching, you know, the competition. And by the way, so, you know, the cap industry, it, you go from the fancy caps, you know, the fancy thread protectors that are actually, that, that actually protect pipe, and you can get a used, you know, Chinese protector for $1. So Yeah, I've seen different types of protectors, you know, out in... The oil field, sometimes you'll get some protectors that are like weigh a lot and, you know, the, the wall is just really thick on them. And it's like, yeah, there's not going to be shit that bangs up the threads on this joint of pipe. But then you get some that are just like paper thin that, you know, kind of seem like they're, they're more for show than yeah. anything. That depends also like, you know, the kind of thread that you have. If you have a premium thread and you put like, you know, a $1 protector on it, I mean, you're shooting yourself in, in your foot, right? So in these cases, normally... Customers go for the high-end protectors, and these are the ones we are competing with. So we're not competing with the $1 protector. We are on the high-end side. Competing with the premium ones. Yes, we are comp- We are in the premium market, and uh, cost-wise, we are uh, very, very cost-competitive, if not cheaper sometimes, especially if you add the usability of, of our protector. So ours tested like 50 cycles, and it still work, you know, the same way. Our We're quite sure our competition works. Yeah, it's another value proposition, yeah. I think, you know, people... They don't really, I think they're starting to come around where they understand that efficiency within processes saves capital, saves money, mm-hmm. but it's really hard to wrap your, you know, kind of wrap your mind around that because it's not very tangible. You don't see the, the cost savings right what's away. Like, what's like, how do you anticipate downtime, right, yeah. in a situation like this? But you know, once downtime happens, you can for sure quantify what that's going to look like as far as loss production, right? Yeah. And so I think it comes down to, and I think we're really good about this with, with all of our companies is really just paying attention to the smallest details. And I know a lot of people think, well, thread protectors, yeah, it's a small thing, whatever. But that can cause such a catastrophic issue, you know, at one of your wells and you lose a significant amount of money and a significant amount of time. And if you have the, I don't know, I guess the mindset to, to pay attention to the small things, imagine what you're going to do with the bigger things. Mm-hmm. And if you would establish that as a, a cultural thing within your organization, I think that's going to make... It's going to have profound effects across the entire organization. And by the way, you know, the spice is being a, a small thing, but, you know, it's scalable. So, I mean, if we talk about, let's say, a pipe mill that produces 30,000 or, you know, tons per month. If you start, you know, let's say five and a half inch, I'll, I'll do like a quick, you know, example. Let's say between four and a half and five and a half inch, every ton will be like around like three pieces of pipe. You're talking about like 90,000 pieces of pipe. We're talking about 180,000 ends that you need to put protectors on. 30 or 40 seconds multiplied by 180,000 ends per month, that's up. A five, you know, a 5,000 foot well. I mean, divide that by, you know, your 40 foot, then you will get the number of pipe multiplied by two, you know. And when it comes to some products, when you do it more than once, such as tubings, you know, then multiply by two and then multiply by four, which is the lifetime of the pipe. So it, it adds up. It, it does add up. Yeah, it's just compound math. When you <laughs> start looking at it like that, you know, your your curve starts going up pretty quick. So, yeah, I think when you illustrate it like that, you start to wrap your head around it a little bit more. But I like what you said, Jake, about if you know if you pay attention to the small inefficiencies, then imagine what you're going to do in the big ones. I'd bet to say if you're paying attention to the small stuff like that, then you've already taken care of the big things. <laughs> 
That was one of the things that they like brainwash into you in the Marine Corps to where you like pay attention to the smallest, most minute details, but it's that level of attention that gives you that attentiveness when you're on like the battlefield or with any of your other work to where you're paying attention to all the little small things that make up the success or mission accomplishment. And I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that and applied to oil companies who are extremely inefficient for the most part, especially, and I'm not talking about necessarily field operations. Colin can speak to that. I'm talking about more so a lot of my experiences, what I'm seeing is, you know, especially like in the, like a lot of the back office stuff to where, you know, a lot of things kind of, kind of compound and there's a lot, a lot of inefficiencies. And I think really this is kind of a bigger conversation as it ties to productivity. Like you're talking about with, with a lot of, you know, how much time is going to be to actually install all of these ends across, you know, however many pipes, like that's, you really, really have to focus on productivity at an individual level and think about how much work can actually be done per person. You know, I think it's funny that, that the company said that, Oh, well, what are my guys going to do if you save us all this time? Like that is the completely wrong way to look at it. There's always other things that can be done, whether that's setting yourself up for what you need to do next week, next month, next year, you know, that's what I always, I always ask that, you know, you talk about all these technologies that can make your company more efficient and save money. I'm like, what are, what are we going to do with all that money? Where's all that value going to, <laughs> what are we all going to do is work? <laughs> But so kind of coming back to your journey, what are some of the challenges that you faced personally? You know, you kind of touched base that it is lonely that you left a team of, of hundreds to be by yourself with your, your co-founder. And I know how that is. I sit in this office with Jake all day and just have to look over at him. Yeah, after that, let's expand upon this. But yeah, answer this question. <laughs> I, want to, I want to talk more about that. I think that's something that we haven't really hit on it enough. But something that's interesting on that point is David was on our podcast mm. several episodes ago and said something really similar yeah. said he was a petroleum engineer and said that you know he was used to you know hundreds of emails every day and just people calling him nonstop. and then when he left it all stopped and he felt very very lonely so you're not the first person that said that so yeah if you just want to elaborate on some other challenges that you might have faced or adversities yes so in the beginning is the discipline you know now i don't have an eight to five job you know and you can sleep to noon very easily (laughs) without worrying about it yes so the discipline you know some people are disciplined enough to work from home i tried that for probably three days and you know i realized i will not do that so yeah you you have to put yourself in a discipline and it has to be your own discipline by the way because now you don't have really to work from eight to five you can work evenings and in a startup you work a lot of evenings by the way yeah, and especially like, you know, a lot of networking events like what you guys, you know, invited me last time was, was awesome. Yeah, by man, the way. came out to our ugly yeah. Christmas sweater party, which, by the way, if you didn't make it out, you missed out. By the way, that wasn't spam. We had people reach out. Saying, <laughs> <laughs> Did somebody, you know, hack y'all's account? No, it was an actual party. So unfortunately, we lost all the footage to it, but yeah. it was a good time. Yeah, it was, it was great. Yeah, that was unfortunate. Yeah, we took a good video of it in our... Our video guy, their camera got stolen, so that was unfortunate. But next year, we'll be having the ugly Christmas sweater party again, so you got to make sure to check it out. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so back to it, like, you know, yeah, the discipline for your own work hours and then uh, attending networking events, you know, and uh, and so forth. And, and and sometimes you find yourself, you know, you're doing your PowerPoints in the evening. So you just need to put your own, you know, program and discipline. Otherwise, like you said, you can easily, like, you know, sleep to noon or, you know, miss out on, on work days or I think it's doing the things that 
you know you need to do, but some most of the times you don't want to do. Like I know you mentioned networking. I know in the very early stages of when I launched my first company in oil and gas, like six years ago, I was terrible at networking. I know it's hard to believe now, but I hated talking to people. I hated talking to people that I didn't know. I hated being in front of people and I surely didn't want to go out. And I was extremely just self-conscious about being in an industry that I was new to, that I didn't know a lot about and I didn't want to look stupid. So getting, I guess, up maybe the courage or maybe just kind of putting myself in the situation to like go out and network with other people in the industry, it's literally landed us here. Right. But it was something that I absolutely did not want to do when I was sitting at home. I was like, man, I really don't want to go network. I really, really (laughs) don't sit at home in my boxers. And now we host a networking thing like every month and all we do is talk to people. So it's kind of funny how that worked out. Yeah. Going back, talking about being disciplined and really having to manage your time. That was something, you know, when I had a job, I didn't keep a calendar, you know, and knew what I had to do. And when I got called out to rig, you know, I knew what had to be done. But when I quit my job, I had to really start keeping a calendar and blocking off my time. We had, to, we had to domesticate him. It was somebody, was this old Phil hand over here wasn't used to using a calendar. Oh, I wasn't used to that in real life. But, you know, blocking off my time, like, look, this is my work windows for the day. This is, you know, when I'm training jujitsu, when I'm working out and how to be really, and I'm still working on it. You know, this has been something that's been a year in progress and I'm still getting better at it, but really allocating my time to certain things and being disciplined within that schedule. Lately, me and Jake started playing Battlefield on Xbox One, so I have to allocate time. He's my my buddy in war, so <laughs> maybe we'll put our uh, gamer yeah, tags put on our Xbox show. Live. Yeah, if, if you have Xbox Live and you want to play Battlefield, just send me a DM on LinkedIn. I'll get you hooked up. <laughs> and you will find your own your own schedule every week. So you know, for for example, you know, we know like we like to meet customers. Let's say Tuesday through through Thursday. So we know it's going to be an outside meeting, and you know, so we know like these days are blocked for that, and then we know. Monday is blocked for like the admin work, you know. So you, you start making, I mean, obviously depending on your business, you know, maybe if, if you're in a software business, maybe it's different than ours, but we we know, how, you know, Friday normally it can be like a lunch with customer or, you know, or, or a podcast, you know. It's, it's, you know. Yeah, you start getting some structure. I mean, even, you know, we're starting to do this with the podcast where, you know, we're going to have our certain recording days where we're going to record on these days. And, you know, if you want to come on the show, you, you pick a time within those days. And Jake and I both know that those are recording days. So we haven't taken it as far as you to where, you know, you may have a certain day allocated for everything. But I like that idea a lot because you know what to expect that day, both you and, and the co-founder. So it's one of those ever evolving things is think, especially with our businesses as all of them are growing and expanding and evolving individually. We're having to evolve with that and figure out how to juggle that, but also juggle our schedules. And yeah, it's it's one of those things that you you continuously have to work on. You're always, you're always I building. think we're getting better at it. I don't know. Yeah, I think we are. You always have to be building systems and processes as things change. So I think it's also important to look at not just what is directly in front of you. I think it's very easy to get caught up in that in the hustle and bustle of startups. Like we have to get this done this week. We have deadlines. We have to get this done next week. But I think it's also important to think what do we need to do for a month from now or next quarter or for next year? And what can we do to prepare for that now? And I think it's important to block out time. Like we sat down, was it last week and talked about everything we needed to do for the next quarter. And that really helped us think like, oh, wow, there's a whole bunch of stuff we need to get done this week or else we're never going to hit those deadlines. You know, and I think it's just going back to just kind of being more structured and be more strict about, you know, how you block out your time. One of the things you mentioned, it was about your co-founder. So I know you mentioned that he was more technical, right? But what about from a personality standpoint? Do you feel like you guys, obviously you probably complement each other, but do you feel like you're opposites? Do you feel like you are the same? Do you feel like you balance each other out? Because Colin and I have 
We'll, we'll talk about that in a second. Like, what's your answer? And then, <laughs> no, well, no, no, hold on. What the fuck are you about to say about me? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, man. No, so uh, Alex and I have been best buddies like for like 14 years. So it's a good dynamic then. Oh yeah, we've we've, we've been friends for a while. You know. Uh, you know, same group of friends and, and, and so forth. And we worked for the same company. And when this thing came, you know, came about, you know, he was, you know, the number one guy who came to my mind because I, I mean, I knew he was, he was, he was yeah, he was, he was a smart dude from, from work, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Just a smart dude from work. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so that can go like two ways. It can go already being best friends with somebody and then going to business, just me speaking from experience. It can go super great and things are just, fucking you know sunshine and rainbows forever as far as your relationship with them goes or it's just the almost the worst thing ever and i think it's also comparable to like working with family so my my younger brother i don't even know if he listens to the show or not but garrett if you're listening he worked for me for at gds where for for three years i'd stole him he was in he was in school at the time he was a he was in sales i said just drop everything you're doing and come work for me in oil and gas in software. And so he came and worked for me. He moved down, didn't have a place. I was like, well, just move in with me too. It's whatever. So now we're living together and we're working together. And that puts such a strain on our relationship to where I just could not, as soon as we left work, I just couldn't stand to be around me. Even though we lived together, it was just like, we didn't want to be in the same house. And yeah, that took a, yeah, that took a lot to, to kind of maintain that. But now it's funny how that we don't work for each other. The relationship is so much better, but with Colin and I, I know we've told the story about how we met a million times, but we were so we were actually talking to some like casting directors for some like oil and gas show a little while back and she was looking for some drama and she was like so what do you guys fight about and we're like literally nothing like we'll have disagreements about something but we'll solve it within a minute yeah not like, literally and i think it's because we have a mutual level of respect we have a similar we, we have the exact same goals we do everything together as far as like all of our businesses and i think it's we're just enough alike to where it's not bad, and we're just enough different to where we balance each other out. Well, Jake, you, you hit on the right word, respect. You know, as long as you have this mutual respect, trust me, every day we will have a disagreement. I mean, we're running a business here, and, we, 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 you know, and like you said, there are, like, you know, short-term goals and long-term goals, and, and, you know, where, you know, obviously, like, you have limited resources, which is, like, two people and limited amount of money. So, you know, deploying these resources, whether it's our time or our money, I mean, we have to be very, you know, cautious about these decisions. And you need the back and forth conversation. If, if everything you say, you know, Colin says, oh, Jake, go ahead with it. Then, you know, you, you actually, you lose. Yeah. You can't just have a yes, man. They got to be able to challenge you on things. Because trust me, I've had bad ideas. He's had bad ideas. You know, we're able to, to come in and, and just level each other out. Or sometimes I'll be like, hey, am I off base with this? Like, am I upset about something for some, some reason that I shouldn't be? And, you know, it's, it's good to have somebody who's going to, you know, just Keep it real. Yep. As long as there's respect, the mutual respect between the two. I think that's a major, I mean, it's a major key with any relationship, right? Not just, not just business, but. I think if you have co-founders that agree on everything and there's something seriously wrong because. Yeah. Not, not I think every, you're agreeing on the service, but you're not actually agreeing. I think just things are not being said probably. Yeah. Yeah. You need to no. grow a pair and talk up. <laughs> yeah, be able to voice your opinions. So before we wrap up this podcast, man, there's a couple things I want to I want to touch base on. One, you've already given some advice to any uh, future entrepreneurs. Do you have you know just like one piece of solid advice that you would give someone you know in in the early stages? Think back to you when you first started out. Be patient. You know, because things don't happen overnight. You know, in the beginning, when you put your business plan together and you think, oh, in three months, I'm going to hit this and six months. And then you, you start seeing like, you know, these dates are, you know, getting blown away. They don't happen. So be patient. And like you said, 
the ups and downs, they can kill you because a lot of people with one down, they say, you know what, fuck it, I'm, I'm out of this, I'm not going to continue. And then, you know, you hear the, you know, the, you know, no, now I found a different way of doing it or, you know, a better way of doing it. You can look at it in both ways, right? You know, it's a failure or no, actually now I learned something that I shouldn't be doing. Like, you know, like, 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 the, Graham, like the Graham Bell story, like, you know, I, uh, I knew like a thousand ways of not making a bad phone or something. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, take it as a lesion. Failure learn, so. is 100% a part of this process as an entrepreneur. And if you are not good at failure, you are not an entrepreneur. You have to be able to, you know, take it on the chin every single day and just, I mean, it's, sometimes it just sucks and it's <laughs> awful, but at the same time, I'd rather do that than ever work for somebody else in my life again. Yep. It's just a hundred percent ingrained with me that I, maybe I'm just a glutton for punishment and I just love just either living in pure agony or pure <laughs> bliss and there's nothing in between. I don't know, but I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, that was great, man. Let's, so if real quick, that? just so I, I, not only just giving you a shout out for, for, you know, armor, but you're also an investor in pitch 25. Oh yeah. Everybody, yeah. Yeah, the, I I call it the, the coolest soccer bar. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so whenever yeah. he first, so he reached out when we were doing the ugly sweater part, we weren't able to change the venue at the last minute. But I hadn't actually even heard of it, so I Googled it, and I was like, "This is a real thing." Mm-hmm. There's actually an indoor like soccer pitch field. I'm sure. Do you guys have like cornhole and stuff other like other? Yeah. Stuff too? So so it's it's a twenty five thousand square foot facility, beer garden. We have indoor and outdoor. We have an indoor soccer pitch, and it's used for soccer, but it's also used for like you know you know, other activities and uh, even kids' birthdays, by the way. Yeah, and you have like a bunch of games. It's a couple late of... kid's birthday. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we got like Chuck E. Cheese, man. No, 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 it's not. No. It's, and, and it's not only a soccer bar. I mean, I went to the Texans game, which sucked, obviously, like that <laughs> You guys ever do like UFC events? Like all your fight nights? We haven't. We haven't done UFC yet, but it's football, Astros, you know, baseball. I mean, you name it. It's, it's all kind of sports. 50 screens. It's, it's, it's an awesome place. You guys should... That's downtown, right? Edo is downtown. Across from the Dynamo Stadium, from the BBVA Compass Stadium, yeah. Yeah, okay. So if you're in the area, make sure to check out Pitch 25. You may, you may run into us there. It's a really cool-looking place, and uh, yeah. we're actually looking at doing some events there. So be on the lookout for some events for us, Pitch 25. People want to find you. Where can they find you at? You're on LinkedIn. I am on LinkedIn, Hazam Halim. We'll put a link in the show notes so you guys can find Yeah, that. and you can check our website, uniarmor.com, and the info email comes to me. You know, we are. Uh... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the, you're the man behind the info. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah I mean, there, I, have, I have a bunch of other titles in the field of the company, by <laughs> Perfect. the way. Yeah. Perfect, man. Well, we appreciate you coming on the show. No, thanks, guys. That was awesome. I enjoyed it. Thank you, man. Awesome, man. All right. Come, 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 come.